Welcome to Unchained TV, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and the founder of the Unchained TV free streaming network, Jane Velez Mitchell. You're about to hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your health, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Welcome. Uh, Unchained TV, your free nonprofit vegan streaming television network has been celebrating Black History Month with a category devoted to videos about the many black movers and shakers in the vegan movement. Frankly, there are too many to mention, but suffice it to say that according to numerous reports and surveys, African-Americans are going vegan at a higher rate than any other demographic group in the United States of America. And so today we are speaking with four leading black voices in the vegan movement. So much exciting stuff happening. We're gonna bring it to you and tell you what has been achieved and where this movement is going next. The intersection of Black Lives Matter and the skyrocketing vegan and yes, animal rights movement. There you got Pinky Cole, one of the leading stars, but we've got a lot of stars here today as well. And I am so honored and thrilled to have them. We're talking eat plants. All right, uh, let's just start with maybe the person geographically closest to me, Gwenna Hunter. You are uh, such a mover and shaker. Uh, Vegans for Black Lives Matter, uh, and then the Vegans of Los Angeles Food Bank, the first vegan food bank in L.A. How does that intersect with Black Lives Matter and um, Black History Month? Um, Well, um, as far as Black History Month is concerned, so the food bank is the first uh, brick and mortar vegan food bank ever in Los Angeles. And I also believe we've been doing a lot of research. I haven't found the evidence that this is not true, but we believe that I'm the first black woman to lead a brick and mortar vegan food bank in the country. Um, I know that there's other outreach programs, but as far as an actual uh, certified vegan food bank, um, it appears that I may be the first one, hopefully definitely not the last. So that's how it intersects with uh, black history. Um, As far as everything else is concerned, Um, I will say that I started this out really doing a lot of the work in, you know, with Black Lives Matter, Black Women Farmers of LA, a lot of Black different organizations. Um, And the work has just expanded. And for me, it's about food being um, an entitlement, um, nutritious food as a birthright for all human beings. So it's part of Black history, but it's also part of planetary history as well. And so just trying to change the narrative about free food and our entitlement to it as well. Well, I want to show people who don't know exactly what goes into it. It is super hard work. Check this out. When I first started the food bank and people were coming to volunteer, I was very meticulous in telling people, come with a heart ready to serve. You're spreading love, and that's exactly what this is about, and we need to start taking care of one another. Hi, my name is Gwenna Hunter. We are here at Hope on Union, also part-time Vegans of LA Food Bank, and this location used to be a butcher shop. Every third Thursday, we serve approximately uh, 300 people, and of those 300 people, the 
average amount of people in their family is between 4.5 and 5 people. So we do this based on first respect and also love and compassion. We give them the choice of what it is that they want and how much that they want. Some food outreach programs or food banks just give people, everyone has to take whatever is there, but we let people have their dignity and make the choice. The impact that I hope that the food bank has in the community is that people are influenced to eat more plant-based, so that people will experiment with the different uh, food options that we give them, the vegan shrimp, the vegan meats, um, and create some delicious meals and decrease their intake of animals if not eliminate. Congratulations, boy. Uh, just amazing work. And the woman clapping there, Naja Wright Brown, is pretty much uh, approaching the same issue, but from a different perspective. So Naja Wright Brown, will you tell us please about Land of Kush? We've got a little video of it while you describe. Uh, Land of Kush is celebrating 13 years. We are a multi-award winning vegan soul bistro, a fast casual establishment. Um, it's uh, owned by myself and my husband, Gregory Brown. Uh, we hire from within the community. Uh, they learn uh, how to run a business at the same time. Um, we are, I believe we're the second black vegan restaurant to open in Baltimore uh, in 2011. So uh, we managed to survive COVID um, while we watched a lot of friends, unfortunately, have to shut down. So it is a grind every day, but um, black history is every day. So every day we're open, you know, we're making history. Why do you think you survived? Because there is a lot of focus now on vegan restaurants, closing. I think we're in a consolidation. And personally, I think one of the reasons is that so many non-vegan restaurants are offering a lot of vegan options. But uh, why, what was your magic key to surviving the pandemic? Uh, you have to stay re relevant. Uh, we're constantly marketing. We're also involved uh, with events. So we co-created uh, Vegan Soul Fest along with Brenda Sanders. That's an event. We co-created Maryland Vegan Restaurant Month. That's an event. Um, I'm constantly talking about the land and cushion, all the things that uh, I do along with Black Biz Society. That's why we have Nadja Speaks. <laughs> uh, I am helping people to find their vegan soul through food, people, events, and culture. So I believe just staying relevant, staying in the face of, of people, organizations, schools, businesses, everyone, and just meeting them where they are and letting them know that they have access to a place to get good vegan soul food. I think you're absolutely right. Some of the most successful vegan restaurants I see are constantly having events. They're constantly marketing themselves in this world where we went from, you know, 28 years ago when I went vegan, there was like two restaurants and they were always empty. And now it's like hundreds and hundreds of them. So it is more competitive even within the vegan space. So I just want to uh, go to our next fabulous person. They're all so fabulous that I'm honored to have them with us. Brenda Sanders, uh, you are the founder and co-executive director of Afro Vegan Society. Um, you do so many exciting things. Let's just take a look at one of the many, many videos that you have. Um, and you're, you're really involved in educating people in, in a very sort of meticulous, detailed way. 
Afro-Vegan Society is helping disempowered communities take back control of their health and environments through vegan living. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Dump Dairy Workshops. Today, I am so, so happy to have Dr. Ruby Lathan. If you feel like you are just don't know how you would ever give up cheese or how you would ever just live without dairy in your diet, there is hope. I, I felt the exact same way. Now you couldn't pay me to eat dairy. Big reason that we want to keep dairy off the plate is because most of us are lactose intolerant, period. Uh, most people of color are lactose intolerant. So um, at least 75% of the population in the world is lactose intolerant and probably higher than that. That is such an important fact, Brenda Sanders. Um, why is it that we have to fight so hard to get that essential fact out? Industry. The dairy industry has so much money and so much power. Um, and I've been really happy to see that some of that power is starting to slip away because of education. And that's why it's so important for me and for my organization, Afro-Vegan Society, to constantly be educating people about these facts, about these truths, because in many different neighborhoods and communities, this information just isn't available. And that's why Afro-Vegan Society exists. Um, you're all working on the same issue from different angles. Jasmine Leva, you've done an extraordinary film, The Invisible Vegan, which we're proud to say is streaming on Unchained TV. Uh, and you're approaching it from a cinematic perspective and also telling your personal story. Let's listen to just a small clip. I urge all of you to watch the actual film as it streams on Unchained TV. But let's watch a short clip and then get your sense of where we are. I grew up in D.C. eating the standard American diet, meat, dairy, fruit, veggies, bread. And I remember my grandma would make me these big breakfasts with like sausage, eggs, and fluffy butter biscuits. You know, I live for them. And at the time, I never questioned what I ate. If it tasted good, I ate it and got seconds. So what are you making? I'm making some turkey legs and turkey wings, spaghetti and a salad. My entire family eats meat, so that's what I knew, and that's all I knew. By the time I became a teenager, I had heard of vegetarianism, but I had no idea what a vegan was. And then when I was 20, I moved to Los Angeles, and that's where I learned what a vegan was. I was like, hmm. You know, that's that white people stuff. It's all love. It's all love. But then I worked on a lifestyle series where we were interviewing Bobette Davis, the owner of this vegan restaurant called Stuff I Eat. She was 65 at the time, and her body trumped mine. She was the first black female vegan that I ever met. I don't eat no meat, no dairy, no sweets, only ripe vegetables, fresh fruit and whole wheat. She unknowingly inspired me to read up on plant-based diets. And the more I read, the more I became inspired to go vegan. Wow, Jasmine, what a great story. And she also inspires me. Chef Babette is unbelievably fit. Um, yes. So we've gotten all these different perspectives. Where are we in terms of the African-American community and veganism? Oh, so I think now we're in a place 
where we're getting the visibility that we should have gotten a long time ago. Because for a long time, you know, no one wanted to bring culture and race and heritage into the conversation. So now we're finally able to bring it in the conversation. And we're finally able to pay respect and reverence for the people who actually poured into these movements. And I'm talking even the green movements. When we say, oh, this is green and sustainability and health, I want to cut in like, oh, when you say green and sustainability, do do you mean indigenous knowledge? Is that what you mean? And so now for Black History Month, I'm just thankful that we get to claim the knowledge that we brought to the table. Well, this is a hot subject. We've got callers lined up. Uh, I wanted to set up all of our guests before we go to the callers, but uh, let's hear from uh, Lindsay and Tarzana. Your question or thought for our panel on Black History Month and veganism. Yes, uh, I just wanted to comment that I am blown away by these women and the accomplishments that they all have made and continue to make. And I think it's so important, the message that they're putting out there for everyone, and I'm just so proud to uh, have the opportunity to know them and and to also uh, learn from them. There's so much to learn. I can't wait to uh, watch the movie you were just talking about. That sounds so great, The Invisible Vegan. And I have one quick question for Nadja. How did you come up with the name Land of Kush? Please explain. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, the land of Kush is um, a birth, uh, is the brainchild of my husband, Gregory Brown, who studies the African diaspora. Uh, I myself is, uh, I'm uh, Afro, um, Afro Latina, but he studies the African diaspora and he wanted to come up with a name that kind of uh, started conversation. Kush is an ancient African civilization in um, Africa along the Nile River. When people think of Kush, you know what they think of, but it opens a dialogue to teach people that blacks weren't always slaves. We were powerful rulers and we still still are powerful rulers. So you could do your research by finding out the land of Kush in Ethiopia. Wow. Okay, we've got another caller, Lauren in Indiana. Your question or thought for our team of African-American vegan leaders, black vegan leaders. What's next for your work around food insecurity, particularly around people of color? And that was addressed to who? Gwenna. Got it. Gwenna, go for it. Um, So what's next? Actually, what I'm actually doing now is we're now uh, implementing more educational opportunities. Um, We're working with USC, uh, University of Southern California, where we're going to be doing uh, live cooking classes, Um, There's going to be some other free food programs. We're going to have panels and speakers at libraries um, and at churches and different events like that. So that's what's happening for the rest of the year. Um, And I like to say what I'm the work I'm doing is um, I know we use the word uh, food insecurity, but I like to say I'm I'm liking to make people uh, food secure. So working on making everyone food secure. And then just, again, changing the narrative and the stigma around free food, uh, food entitlement and food banks in general. I like that. It's a positive uh, description of it as opposed to insecurity. We're just talking about food security, which, let's face it, like air and water, there's three things we can't live without, air, water and food. Hmm. All right. Nilofar in Dallas, Texas, your question or thought. Hi. What an inspiring panel of movers and shakers. 
question is for Jasmine Leiva. The Invisible Vegan is an excellent documentary addressing both um, health and justice, um, health and social justice issues. Uh, is there room to expand on the message to explicitly use language acknowledging the tyranny of the human-animal versus non-human animal, and thus inspiring advocacy based on ethics? What this does is it would bring ethics to the forefront of the intersectionality of social justice issues and the importance of addressing the mind-numbing violence against animals. Thanks. Wow. Okay, that's a hot potato. Are you ready for that one, Jess? <laughs> hot potato caught. So um, when I um, when I made my film, I was very strategic about how I wanted to um, present my vegan messaging, and I did make my message toward. Um, the black community, just because I felt like at the time that community was left out of the vegan conversation. Now, one of the nuances is, unfortunately, the, you know, at the time, the animal rights, you know, the, the animal rights movement um, came off as somewhat of an entitled movement. And black people had a lot of conflict with that. So when I organized my film, I touched, it, it's broken down into chapters. I think animal rights was around chapter seven, chapter eight, because I had to gear it towards what my audience cared about. And I had to be very careful not to trigger my audience because a lot of black people felt like, you know, we are treated all of the things that we talk about that is going through that these animals are going through. We're going through this. We are being beaten. We're being mistreated mistreated, we're being killed. So as long as that is happening to my body, it's gonna be a hard thing to ask them to prioritize what's going on with a chicken or cow, even though you know some might argue it's equally uh, horrific. But I did have to be very strategic about how I um, put that information in my film, but it is in there. You're, very, you're raising a very important point. I mean, in terms of comparing any animal suffering to any human group, uh, whether it's, for example, women. Um, a lot of people feel insulted. We've so demonized animals that to compare a human in any way, shape, or form to an animal is perceived as an insult when why should it be? These are innocent creatures who are totally innocent. Why uh, is any comparison somehow insulting? Uh, I, you know, I've, I've, come up against that too. And uh, it's it's a tricky one, but we have to meet people where they are and uh, and you find ways. What I've always said is if there's a, an explanation that offends people, find another way to explain it. That's how I've, I've dealt with it. All right, we've got still other callers. This is exciting. An avalanche of callers, Michelle in Los Angeles. Hi, can you hear me? Yep. Oh, great. Thank you so much. All of you women are so amazing and inspiring as well. And I'm so glad you're bringing awareness to the whole point that veganism is not just a white thing. And how do we influence or educate our family members and friends without offending them, but also um, enabling them to enjoy like the goodness of being vegan? Um, I want to throw that to Brenda Sanders. I mean, I think this is such an important point. Uh, indeed, you could make an argument that meat eating is 
commerce colonialism. You know, uh, cows and pigs are not indigenous to the United States. The first cow came over on Columbus's second voyage and the first pig came over uh, in approximately mid 16th century um, on a boat of a Spanish conquistador. Whereas what was indigenous was maize, uh, grain and potatoes and all sorts of veggies. And yet it's often perceived that veganism is a quote unquote white thing. I, I want if you could explain where you're at with all that and how do we grapple with that? Yeah, so a big part of the education that we do is giving a history um, of culture and tradition. And that's a really, really important thing because we have been so programmed to believe, you know, that this is food, uh, this should be accepted as food, it's always been food, when in fact, you know, a lot of the foods that we're eating, like you were saying, are very recent additions to our diets. Um, and especially when you're working within particular communities, if you're working within the, uh, the indigenous uh, American community, then of course you would educate about colonialism um, and how those uh, animals became food. Um, within the black community, one of the things that people, that surprise people all the time is that uh, milk, the, the milk of an animal is not um, natural for us to consume for you know various different reasons is for infants and it is uh, species specific. And so once these kinds of things start being talked about, people are like, wow, I did not ever even think about that. And it's because of the programming, it's because of the advertisement, it's because these things are literally and figuratively being shoved down our throats. And I so that's the biggest thing, just talking about it and educating people. When Dr. Silas Rao, who is an Indian-born systems engineer and founder of Climate Healers, described the, the marketing of fast food as commerce colonialism, I thought, wow, that is really, really powerful, a powerful way to uh, describe it. And it could appeal to, to uh, people in terms of making it politically correct to consume it. Um, We've got one more caller, and then we're going to get deep into that issue. Paige in Los Angeles, your question or thought for our panel. Yes, thank you very much. I want to ask each one of them, uh, each one of you, how can we, the listener, and we, the supporters, um, specifically support each one of you? Thank you. Wow, <laughs> great question. All right, why don't we start? We'll start with Gwenna. You're in Los Angeles, so is Paige. So, and I know Paige supports you and many other organizations. Go ahead. Yeah, um, we always can use money. That's <laughs> very, very important. Um, it costs me a little over almost $6,000 a month to run the food bank. It's not cheap. So uh, you go to vegansofla.com. So if you scroll, you'll see the donate. Please donate um, because, you know, it's not free to be on this on this planet. Um, also, if you want to, you know, volunteer, uh, we could always use uh, volunteers on the Wednesday that we are open, uh, which is usually the third between the second and third week of the month. Um, just check in with me, and I'll let you know which week it is. But we could always use people to come in and help pack and help sort. Um, there's always other volunteer opportunities that need people to help with certain administrative things. Send out letters, emails. So if you have any skills, you know, please feel free to reach out. All right. And let's hit the next one because she asked this of everybody. So, Brenda, 
How can people help your organization, Afro Vegan Society? Yes. So we also have a donate button <laughs> on our website, uh, afroveganSociety.org. And, uh, you know, folks can go over there and donate. Uh, and we are always looking for uh, to expand community. And so we have lots of folks who are just on our email list, on our volunteer list, who may have certain skills that uh, could really, really help us out. Uh, so if you head over to AfroVeganSociety.org, hit that donate button and also join uh, our email list on with the newsletter. And that would be so much help. All right. Naja. Yes. Uh, yep. Money. Donate at BlackVeganSociety.org. <laughs> BlackVeganSociety.org. If you are in the Baltimore area, please come see us at Land of Kush. Uh, you can go to landofkush.com for more info there. And if you can't do any of that, follow me at Naja Speaks. Go to najaspeaks.com. Tune in. I contribute for Unchained TV. And um, yeah, let me help you uh, find your vegan soul or your friend's vegan soul through food, people, events, and culture. Yes. And uh, Naja is an incredible contributor to Unchained TV. In fact, we're figuring out a way to give her her own show on the streaming network. That's in progress. So support her and you can uh, see her on uh, streaming on Unchained TV on a regular basis. Jasmine. So um, one thing, I, if I'm being honest, like right now I'm in a place where I kind of have everything I want. I have everything I need. So if you wanted to know how to support me, just keep supporting the cause. Um, do exactly what you're doing right now, educating yourself, spreading the information that you've learned. And Paige is a fantastic human being. You know, you've had me on your show. You've welcomed me. You know, just keep being that light in the world. So it supports the world beyond me. And that's oh, what wow. Doing. Fabulous. Well, donate and support and stay active. We've got one more caller, man. They're, they're coming in today. Sarah in Los Angeles, your question or thought for our Celebrate Black History Month with Vegan Leaders show. Hi, I was wondering if you guys have any events coming up for Earth Day, if you guys are going to be collaborating with other organizations. And I uh, just wanted to see what your future uh, in your different groups, in your organizations, what your future um, projects are for this year. Thank you. Oh, good question. Okay. Well, why don't we start with Naja? You have so many groups. Honestly, I, I was like, well, how do I, what's my lower third for Naja? Because it would be the world's longest lower third. Uh, <laughs> Land of Kush, it's uh, what well, you tell us. What are you doing? Well, uh, next month is Maryland Vegan Restaurant Month. So if you're in Maryland, you definitely want to check out mdveganeats.com. We have a launch party happening next week at Lord Baltimore Hotel. So we're always evolving on that project. We just announced uh, coming soon is the first ever Children's Veg Fest in Baltimore. We're partnering with Baltimore Recreation and Parks. So if you're, again, in the Maryland area, in the Baltimore area, please, this is for everyone, just not Baltimore. This is the first Children's Veg Fest. We'd love people to come out, support, bring your children. So just think Vegan Soul Fest, but for the children. And then again, if you see the announcement for Vegan Soul Fest, you can come and support that as well. Myself and Brenda put that on. Definitely a great, great, great time. So you want to definitely want to be there at that event. Um, but again, if you follow me at Naja Speaks, you'll find out all about that. I'll be talking about that tomorrow on my show as well, najaspeaks.com. Subscribe, subscribe, like, share, all of that. 
All right. I want to get into the weeds here. Um, I think it's absolutely extraordinary that African-Americans are going vegan at a higher rate than the rest of the population. And I want to do a round robin on why that is, because as far as I can see, that's a great uh, fact. That's a great development. My personal belief is that the meat, dairy and pharmaceutical industries, which I consider one and the same, you know, the three heads of one big problem, um, it's a house of cards. And if you pulled out one key demographic, like uh, African-Americans, uh, that would be one key demographic that you could pull out. I think it would collapse. So do you agree with me on that? And let's do a round robin on why this is happening and how we can actually make it uh, grow even further. Um, who wants to kick it off? Jasmine, you're smiling, so take it away. So, you know, one thing I have to say, I feel like... Um African-Americans leading the charge. One, we come from a very, you know, creative people, not to take anything um, from any other race. They're all creative. But, you know, we have our own we have our own vibe. And I think when veganism was presented, it's just like this is just yet another opportunity for us to unleash our culinary creativity and create something that can sustain our families. And I think that's especially important because a lot of us, We've grown up, you know, under the umbrella of soul food and, and foods that weren't that healthy and seeing members of our family um, go into, you know, have diabetes, high cholesterol, have all of these things and need to take all of these pills. And that became, you know, what we projected our fate to be because it's what we saw. We didn't see all the juiceries and the health food and know that you can do the chia seeds and flax seeds and avoid all of these things. So I think um, for us, it's a chance um, for us to exercise our creativity. And it's also a chance for us to, um, we're learning that, oh, this is how I avoid um, getting my leg cut off. So we also have that vision of what it looks like if you go down the wrong path, which I think helps propel us down a healthier one. Brenda Sanders, um, we've got yet another caller, but I want to, I really want to tackle this point is um, the pandemic showed that African-Americans were suffering the worst effects of the pandemic because of underlying health issues. Is that a big trigger for people to wake up and say, wow, in fact, there's a film uh, called They're Trying to Kill Us, which is an incredible film about how the African-American community is suffering disproportionately uh, when, it, when it comes to health statistics. And the fast food is why. Yes, yes, absolutely. I was so honored to be featured um, in the film They're Trying to Kill Us. And just if I could let people know right now, They're Trying to Kill Us is a very powerful film that uh, features John Lewis, the badass vegan. And uh, it's streaming free right now, only for the month of February, Black History Month. And it can be, you know, you can watch it for free, again, for free. This is really important. Um, families, you know, churches, whoever need to, you know, log in and, and get into this film, uh, they're trying to kill us.com. And yes, absolutely. A lot of those themes are explored in the film. A lot of those themes are being explored by vegan activists, black vegan activists. Um, and it's absolutely a huge reason why this, all this attention is being put on plant-based eating and vegan living is our circumstances. The fact that we uh, are leading in most of the diet-related illnesses right now, and people want to change. 
we want to do something different. I think that's a large part of the reason why you've seen this shift in our culture. Uh, I mean, but two thirds of Americans are overweight or obese. Uh, and we've got a crisis in this country. Honestly, I was in the Dallas. I went to speak at the best plant-based conference ever. And I was sitting in the Dallas Fort Worth airport and I was surrounded by people who had been wheeled up and they were morbidly obese and they were not old. So they were younger people. And then I looked across and I see two parents feeding nuggets to a kid, uh, uh, chicken stuffing. And I thought, well, if you were going to give a cigarette to a kid, people would call child services. But even though processed meat is officially cancer causing, according to the World Health Organization, people are shoving this down their kids' throats. The U.S. government is subsidizing dairy and trying to force kids to drink dairy in school when the global majority and even the National Institutes of Health itself says 67 percent at least of all people. This is on the NIH website are dairy intolerant, are lactose intolerant. Um, it's, a, it's a crazy, crazy mixed up world. And yet we haven't hit the tipping point where, let's say since this is Black History Month and we're talking about that particular demographic where it's become politically incorrect for, let's say, the Black community to, to, to buy fast food. It's still happening across the board, Naja. Yes. Um, to the question on why we're we're on the rise, one, I'm gonna you know shout out Tracy McWhorter's African American Vegan yes. Starter Guide. This is nothing new. If anyone remembers Dick Gregory, uh, <laughs> Dick Gregory was also uh, an animal rights activist. So if you go to page 32, go to Afro African American Vegan Starter Guide 32, it'll tell you the history. 1915, there was a, um, a vegetarian food. Congress conference, like this is nothing new to us. It's just, we weren't being paid attention to. So the reason why it's growing now, again, we've talked about the health um, disparities, the, the type two diabetes and the heart disease. There's seven major reasons um, that I've seen in this article, the GRIO, and I just posted a link there. I don't know if we can share that. Sure we have listed this and I have talked about this on my show. Um, saving the animals, saving the environment. People are becoming aware due to the works of people like Brenda and Jasmine and Gwenna and myself, just pushing the word out there. Generation after generation, you know, culture is culture. You're being taught one way and you have to unlearn that. So this is the reason why that's happening. And it's not a new fad. Again, it says that on in, in the seven uh, reasons. This is not a new fad for Black people. Globally, we have been aware of this. But I just want to get back to it again. And I want to ask Gwena Hunter, um, I think that, and correct me if I'm wrong, that there has been, at least until recently, when all these stories started coming out about African-Americans switching to veganism at a higher rate than the general population, that there had been this sort of perception as veganism as kind of some effete, hipster, mostly white thing, fad yeah. that yeah. was practiced in Brooklyn and Venice, California, and that it wasn't for African-Americans. Uh, I mean... Has that been shattered? Hopefully. And what are your thoughts on that? Again, I, I ask because I truly feel that if this demographic were to shun en masse fast food, it would trigger a collapse 
of modern day industrialized animal agriculture that is killing everybody, but disproportionately killing African-Americans. Can I just piggyback on what I just said for sure. a minute? Because you're, 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 cl you're clearing something up for me in my head. Um, veganism was birthed out of vegetarianism. Okay. Can we agree on that? It was birthed out of that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, and I've heard this in the communities that this veganism was formed to, to create a division. Now, I don't know how true that is or not. I mean, everything is about division, but when you look at it, some of the vegans, you know, it could feel like colonialism or demanding, or you have to do this. Black people don't want to be told what to do. We have to go in our communities and tell and teach with our face and how we do it. Not how y'all are doing it. It's how we're doing it and we're going to do it our way. And you got a group of people and there's more people out there that are doing it their way. It's not or, it's and. We're going to do this and. Okay? It's not just black and white. It's gray. People have to have their own journey to get to where they need to be to become vegan or plant-based or wherever it is that they're going. So we're still in the minority here. You know, I think we're still under 10% of the population in the United States. So, you know, not even talking globally. So we shouldn't be demanding or pointing fingers. We should be compassionate and working with people and trying love. And that could be the turnoff to some of the black community. Ooh, I guess wow. someone else can speak to that. Yes, I, Gwenna, take it. She's perfect segue. Um, to answer your question in its entirety, that being shattered for me is being shattered, but there's still a lot of work to be done because it isn't the most important conversation um, on everybody's mind. That's black, that's African American, that's having health issues. So there's still a lot of work to be done. Uh, one, the two things that I noticed: um, one, the way in my my perspective, the way African Americans active and the way we talk to each other and the mercy and grace and the education, it's, it's, it's not as harsh. Um, in the white community, you know, what I've seen in the past, not really at this moment, but what I've seen in the past, it can be extremely just, it can be punishing if you make a mistake and you go in a group and you say, hey, what's wrong with honey? And 500 people make a comment and attack the person. So to me, um, we are more, for the most part, we are. There are exceptions, obviously, but we are more gentle, and we are more compassionate with one another. Um, you know, I said, or you know, first got in the movement. Um, I didn't really know any black vegans except for the ones that I would see online or at conferences. Um, and then when I started getting in situations where I was in person, um, you know, I could share, you know, certain feelings or certain things, and it would just be, it wouldn't be a big deal. But if I a certain conversation in the white community, it would be like, oh, you can't do this. And it, it would just be a, a lot more uh, cool, a little bit more hard. And so for me, I feel like more love and acceptance and room to make mistakes, get up, start over, forget about it, do it again. And that's also the reason. Um, yeah. I go on Instagram, I see all these beautiful black people making all this amazing food and it's fun. And it's beautiful and we're having a great time. We can't forget that. Yes, it's horrible. Animals are being killed right this moment. It's a horror movie, but we can't live in that all the time. 
to me, that kind of starts to develop a mental illness when you're constantly looking at the darkness of a situation. You got to get up. You know, nothing wrong with being in the dark. I embrace my dark side all the time, but you got to get up and get back into that light. You got to have a good time. You got to make it fun. Play with all the different elements of this movement. Play with the cooking. Play with the activism. Go to the protests. Go do education. Like, you know, get involved in all of it. But sometimes I see on the other side, it just gets a little bit too harsh and, and kind of mean and critical. And that's where it starts to turn people off. Well, what I'm hearing is that if we want to truly revolutionize the vegan movement within the Black community, already there's huge advancement. The Black community is ahead of the general population. But what's required is to foster leadership within the Black community as opposed to people who are not in that community saying, here's what you should be doing. And be compassionate. Is that what this is not about? Is this not about love? Is this not about equality? Is this like you got to be the things that you're talking about? And often people are not those things. They talk about it. But when that moment comes to actually embody it, they can't. Yeah. Uh, these are all incredible points. Uh, Naja, and then Jack, let's hear from everybody. But you were shaking your head, Naja. No, that's that's right. You know, you can't. No one has to do anything. And I'm whoever's watching and looking. The black person, Africa, who they don't have to do anything. <laughs> you know, but be in their skin. You're coming to educate on the reasons why they should be vegan and the benefits, and that's great. There's people that's starving out there. They're not going to bypass a piece of meat because you're talking about being vegan. Like, let's have some common sense here. We could only do what we can do to educate the masses and in hopes that they will make change. Right. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm coming in from a perspective of, wow, this is an incredible development. How can this um, phenomenon of African-Americans essentially leading the vegan movement be uh, accelerated even. I want to go to one quick thing, but I think you had something to say, Jasmine, then we'll, then we'll jump over. Yeah. Um, I guess kind of piggybacking off of what everyone said, like just the importance of humility. Um, and then when you're thinking specifically about the black American community, like really think about it. Like this is one of the first times in history that black Americans have even had somewhat bit of control over what they put in their bodies. You know, for the longest time, you know, if you go in historic, we were fed the scraps. And then it took a while for black people to get entrepreneurial footing in this country. Yes, there were some people who were doing well, but I look at my grandmother. My grandmother was eating mayonnaise sandwiches. Like that's how she was getting by. She was giving her kids crackers for dinner. And so finally, I'm the first generation of black Americans in my family where I can comfortably eat, me and my mom, whatever our heart desires. So just imagine what it's like to come to someone who just got that power and tell them, no, you know what? I want to take some of that power back and control what you eat. And then you also are in the body of the type of people that took that right from us in the first place. Like you have to think heavily about that. So it's not saying that you shouldn't tell someone to go vegan or you shouldn't educate them, but you should take the time to learn the nuances of any community that you want to educate. 
Wow, this is powerful. I'm I'm just thrilled that we're having such a deep conversation and not just staying on the surface. Um, I was trying to think of on our category where we have many of the black vegan leaders and videos about them, and there are many more. It would be stadiums full if we would include every single one, which we would love to. But I was like, who epitomizes this phenomenon? This was my vote. You can have your own votes, but I'm going for Pinky Cole. Let's watch. He's the 30-something powerhouse who founded the Slutty Vegan Restaurant Chain. And Pinky Cole is at it again. Drawing lines around the block and then some for her superb vegan menu items. With risque titles like Menage a Trois and Sloppy Toppy. Why the outrageous name? Because we're told sex sells. Not content with a rapidly expanding vegan empire of restaurants and food trucks, Pinky Cole is out with a book called Eat Plants, Bitch. I grew up in a very humble household. My father served 22 years in prison, and I watched my mother work multiple jobs every single day. My mom used to come home tired. She worked payroll services. She worked at McDonald's. She was a musician. She worked at the bank, and like she was literally and figuratively Jamaican. <laughs> and I realized that I never wanted to work that hard because my mother didn't get to fully walk in her purpose at that time. So while my father was in prison, I literally said, you know what, I gotta make it. Because I don't want to grow up like this. I don't want to have to work so hard for the rest of my life that I can't afford the level of freedom that I want. And I want to be able to take care of my mom. And that's exactly what I did. So I grinded for a very, very long time. And here we are. Literally, I'm still the girl in the grown woman body who now has a $100 million hundred million dollar brand thanks to Paige Parsons Roach for supplying that video by the way uh, she went to the event Brenda Sanders um, wow and you have to look at one of the other more successful entrepreneurs in terms of vegan restaurant chains is Kevin Hart the African-American radio star and TV star yeah, I mean, it's it. Folks are just coming out of the woodworks. People understand where the future is headed. Like, there's just no denying it now, and especially within the Black community. And I think because such a strong foundation is being built at the community level. And if it wasn't for that work, if it wasn't for, you know, Naja and me struggling and sweating and, you know, figuring out how to put on Vegan Soul Fest that, you know, we we exceeded 14,000 people, you know, in 2023 um, as a veg fest, you know, a, a music and food festival. Um, and it's just a lot of work. It's a, an awful lot of work on the ground, you know, just shifting culture. And I think that that's what you are talking about, you know, shifting the culture away from what it was, you know, what, what we uh, sometimes call slave food and into a different light, into a different direction. That's fun. That's exciting. That's compassionate, like Jenna was saying. Um, and that uh, is, is that it sticks, you know, it's not just some passing fad that was cute and fun, but it actually is being built from the ground up. And so that is structural change. Uh, everybody, in my opinion, who eats animal products is supporting their own oppression. 
um, supporting climate change, uh, accelerating climate change. There was a study uh, in the New York Times that was from Oxford University, just came out recently. No shock that no other media picked it up, even though they love to show what I call catastrophe porn all day, floods, fires, people drowning, cars being overturned, houses floating into the ocean. But here was a solution in the form of a report uh, from a study. Oxford University said heavy meat eaters, which is most Americans, can reduce their greenhouse gas emissions footprint by 75% by switching to a plant-based diet. If you think about that for one second, that means if everybody switched to a plant-based diet, we could collectively reduce our greenhouse gas emissions footprints by 75%, which would mean that we could return the temperatures back to where they were a couple of hundred years ago before the start of the Industrial Revolution. It's the solution right there staring us in the face. And yet there is this intense resistance by the media, which is advertiser-based and controlled by the meat, dairy, and pharmaceutical industry. And um, there's also societal and cultural results uh, uh, resistance with people always citing their own background. I don't care what your heritage is. Uh, I'm, I'm talking black, white, any, oh, I could never go vegan because I'm fill in the blank. Okay, I'm Puerto Rican and Irish. I've heard I could never go vegan because I'm Puerto Rican. I could never go vegan because I'm Irish. It's all nonsense. It's brainwashing. So how do we break through that? I, I'd love to do a round robin because if we could get people to stop supporting their own oppression, uh, that would be game over. Can I say something sure. to that? Um, well, some people were thinking about how, you know, they're going to stay alive tomorrow with, you know, depending on where they live and how they're living. So that's the priority on their their brain. Um, but to talk about food and, uh, and, and, and let's say the Latino market, Black Week and Vegan, I, I, I went up there over the weekend. I was there Monday. Uh, she's doing the damn thing. First Afro Bariqua to bring the Latin vegan game to like, I don't know. I just see she's going to do wonders. So how do we bridge the gap between um, you know us and, and, and the Latin community? People are doing their thing to bridge that gap. And we just got to keep on coming up with these innovative ways and reaching the people. So <laughs> it's going to happen, you know, one idea at a time. And like I said, it's not, or it's, and we need to do this and, and that, and, and that, you know, everybody can contribute in some way to reach the people. Uh, I, I totally hear what you're saying. I guess my sense of panic and, um, impatience is that I personally feel, and it's not just me, I mean, Sir David Attenborough did an incredible documentary about how there's only nine boundaries and we're breaking through six of them. And I just read an article yesterday that uh, the global oceans, if there's a collapse, uh, it could create like cataclysmic climate changes immediately. I, I looked in the article, I was like, well, when could this happen? It said anytime between 2025 and 2050. I'm like, 2025, that's two years from now. So, uh, I mean, I feel like, yes, we have to, you know, it's, it's the same thing that people say. It reminds me of that film, Don't Look Up, where they're, <laughs> they're, they're yelling on the on the morning show, hey, a meteor's coming and, and the host is saying, calm down, you're so strident. Uh, I, I don't know what, what 
if we could do a round robin on that, how do we balance the urgency of the situation with the need for people to to have information, um, or process information in a certain way? Well, one thing I would say is um, as far as like perspective, when you're looking at, um, you know, because everyone wants to blame someone, um, they want to have a villain. So I think sometimes um, vegans can look at the non-vegans like, okay, these are the villains because they're contributing to this. And I would say maybe go further because um, if I was pointing at a villain, I would say a lot of these people who are feeding their children this stuff, they're doing so because this is what their doctor said to feed their children. This is what um, advertising companies are promoting. This is what's um, in the grocery stores that they can afford. So I would place blame on those higher powers um, when I'm delivering um, my message. And I think that's one of the ways uh, we can, you know, start to see change, make sure we point things at the right people. I'm devastated that we're almost out of time. So I want to get Gwen Hunter, your thoughts on this. Um, well, we've used this word and you use the word uh, brainwashing. Um, Brenda used the word first and her used the word program, which is a really um, powerful word that I like to use because that is what is happening. We all of us have some program that we're running on something. Nobody is 100 percent awakened for everything. We're all running some type of program running some type of story and just like what jasmine said it's like we we need a villain especially in this movement we definitely you know the meat eaters they're ruining this they're doing that but it's no different than when you were eating meat and the program you didn't wake up from your program what woke you up use that because there's all types of different ways that people wake up i can talk to a spiritual community with my eyes closed but if you want to have me talking about science or some other stuff, that's not my forte. Everyone wakes up in the way that they are programmed. And we're all programmed in certain types of ways. So like Jasmine said, I think it's very important that we stop making enemies. Mm-hmm. Community. We need to stop that. And the vegan community mm-hmm. is huge for that. We love to, you're wrong and you're this. And it's like, you know what? Yes, veganism is a huge awakening. But we also need to clean up our own ish as well, the stuff mm-hmm. that we have going on inside. And if we do that, there'll be an awakening on levels that are unprecedented. But I won't get into all that right now because that's my jam. <laughs> so I won't do all that's that. a whole other show. <laughs> jam is wisdom. I'm going to burn my vegan police t shirt as soon as we're done. Um, <laughs> can, can I add to the conversation? Yes. Um, because uh, climate change is an emergency, and I don't think that people have been treating it as such. I've seen people right now, you know, there are tornadoes and, you know, floods and mudslides and all these things with so much more frequency, drought, and, like, food prices are through the roof, and people are like, what's going on? Why do these, you know, foods cost so much? And, you know, as somebody who is privy to uh, the different elements of the food system, I'm like, no, it makes perfect sense. When you have things like floods, and and droughts and, and, you know, things that directly um, impact the food system and the, you know, the distribution system because we have this huge industrial, uh, just global food system that is absolutely ridiculous. Um, All these different elements are just creating a really awful um, tornado of awfulness that is only going to get worse. And, you know, the Oxford study saying blatantly that, you know, changing this one thing in mass 
will change our entire situation. That is the reason why I'm constantly pushing this information, uh, this education about climate change, about the ways in which a plant-based food system would help to solve these problems uh, that the animal-based food system have caused. Um, has caused and and we we really it's past time like we have to be dealing with this stuff immediately right now you know it's not something that we can just be like oh you know that's in the future climate change will happen you know later like we're in the midst of it right now and so i do feel that sense of urgency as well yes and bringing in the political aspect you know talking about a leadership um with within the African-American community on the vegan issue, Senator Cory Booker is a vegan. And he's one of the leading voices inside uh, the government, inside the, the legislative bodies that is speaking up for veganism. But it's a very, very scary thing to do because they have ways of shutting you down. Yeah, uh, And so that's another factor is educating uh, the politicians. I mean, I recently went to a gathering and there was a politician there who was very up to date on a lot of issues, a lot of issues. But when somebody raised the issue of health and plant-based food, it was like, what are you talking about? What, 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 huh? We've got important issues here to talk about. Why are you talking about that? That's, that was the general vibe. And so, you know, it's really hard to get people to um, even acknowledge that this is the solution, not even acknowledge that it's a solution, acknowledge that this is an issue that needs to be discussed. Thank you for tuning in to Unchained TV. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.